Can everybody hear me okay? Good morning. Let me just get set up as our kids are leaving. There are a lot of children here today. Okay, well, I'm going to share a little bit just about what I'm experiencing, what's going on in my heart right now as kind of people are uh, leaving our sanctuary. I don't know about you, but I'm just like so excited today, especially, to encounter God and to see what He is doing in our midst. What a wonderful worship time we had. It was almost that it was hard for me to get up and follow that because I just wanted to stay in that place. Um, And it's weird because um, the thought that I had before coming up here was that, wow, Lord, I'm really excited to see what you're going to say today. And the weird part is, is that I'm actually speaking, but... I just, I have this, I've had this sense that, Lord, you're going to show up in an unexpected way. And that's a weird dynamic when you're the one who's supposed to be speaking what you prepared. So, just in that regard, I trust that he's laid that on my heart because he wants me to come expecting him to do what I cannot do today. Um, So that's my heart, and here we go. This is an interesting time. Um... So I'll give you a little bit of background. What we as a church have been experiencing um, in this series falls under the tagline that God in Christ, as we see kind of up here, Christ in us, that the same spirit that empowered Jesus to do everything that he did while on the earth, you know, from the miracles that he did, from the healing of the blind, from... Even the calling of his his disciples, listening to the Spirit for whom he would call, down to his very last hours, which is where we find ourselves today, about to bear the cup of God's wrath on our behalf, to go to the cross for us, to die, to be rejected, to be betrayed at the hands of men, and to be deserted by everybody whom he loved the most, and whom loved him. But to feel that, that aloneness, that just being alone in the world, Christ did that with the same spirit that he gives to us today. And that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that we can get to share in that spirit that did wonderful, amazing things, miracles through Jesus. And it's that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that lives in us. So that's what we've been talking about in this series with the backdrop of Galatians um, 5, listing the fruits of the spirit. We're not going through them in order. We're going through them in the order of the life of Christ. So now we get to the place where um, I've heard it said many times, and I'm going to say it again, that scripture actually slows down at this point. So what once described maybe many months or even a year in a portion of Scripture now is describing hours. So this is, rightfully so, this is kind of a, it's a somber time for us to read as Christians because the one whom we follow who gave us new life is about to experience his death. And one of the things that I was wrestling with in this sermon is... All right, the sheer weight of it, like, 
about Jesus' last hours, meditating on that, there's, it's a heavy and a deep topic, right? And the other thing is like, all right, Lord, we need your spirit in order to dive into this and experience your last hours because it, it is a somber reflection for us, right? We know the end of the story, so we know how it ends. But we want to walk through it with the guiding of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's what's happening here today. Um, so, um, if you don't know me, if you're new, my name is Aaron Maines. And Jay has been listening to the Spirit and just raising up people who get to... Uh, learn gifts of the Spirit, like speaking and teaching and teaching God's Word. So that's what he's done in my life, and I'm thankful for that, and in the lives of many others. So um, feel free to reach out to me or Jay or anyone here. We're going to turn in our Bibles to page 735. That's in the Bible in the pew in front of you. Um, the passage is Luke 22, verses 7 to 23. We'll also be looking at the parallel account of John, looking at the same instance from a different perspective, and that's in John 13, 1 to 21. You don't have to turn there. I just want you to know that we'll be referring to that. Let's read. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter a city, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And that's where our passage ends. Let's pray. I'm going to take a drink of water, then we'll pray. Lord, I just reflect that there's nothing in me that can speak words of life today, God. So I recognize I am dependent upon your Spirit And your spirit is faithful to come and speak to your church and to build your church, God. 
So Lord, by your spirit, teach us today about your love. Don't let us overlook it. Don't let us think that we know it fully. God, because your love is deep and wide and there are portions of it that we will never know on earth, God. It is a mystery why you would come and die for us. So Holy Spirit, come today. Instruct us, God. Speak to hearts and breathe life. Lord, by your Spirit, direct us and meet every heart in here. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so our topic today is love. Um, And one of the things that I was kind of thinking of is, okay, one of the things we have to unpack is our experience of love in this world and how we have come to define it, how the world defines it, and then kind of draw a distinction between that and God's love. Because it, love, just that word alone, it goes out, it, it ushers in different feelings, it brings up different experiences. Um, I mean, if we look at the music world, right? We look at, I like, googled greatest songs about love and some of the most ridiculous things come up i mean and what I, I guess what i was looking for is like what i was looking for is what is the best picture of love that this world has to offer and what i found most common in that is a picture of love that basically says um what love is, is what someone or something can do for me to make me feel. And if that happens, I'll reciprocate it with my love. And maybe through storms, maybe through trials, but it's about a feeling, right? That's the basis of definition for our world. So there's a place within our world where love ends and love stops. And it's not so with God. So some of the things, I mean... The Beach Boys, right? That's a popular song. God only knows where I'd be without you, right? And you can hear it playing in your mind. Um, You can't talk about this without mentioning all you need is love from the Beatles, right? Like during that time in the 60s when, you know, um, Whitney Houston, right? And I will always love you. Um, Sort of like our world's undying picture of love. Um, and the list goes on. We could talk about that forever. And I'm sure... Does anybody have a favorite love song? Not saying it now. I know, I kind of set the stage. Like, I didn't mean it for it to be like that. I wasn't trying to shoot it down. Um, but let's, let's dialogue a little bit. If you're new to our gathering, what we like to do is we like to just open up for discussion and let the body speak. Let, I'm not the only one that can teach us, obviously. So let's talk about what love is not. So let's dialogue. What is love not? That's an easier way to begin defining it. It's not selfish, right? Love is not selfish. It's selfless. Did I hear somebody else say something? That's cheating, but now I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you're going where my mind was going, yeah. Say one of them again, so... Okay. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so what else is love not? I mean, yeah. It's not puffed up, right? Love is humble. And humility is not a natural thing that we experience, right? What else? Love is everlasting, so love... Oh, man, now I'm confused. Um, <laughs> love is not temporary. Yeah. Very good. So then, let's move on. How does, how does God define love? And there are many right answers to this. I'm not looking for a right answer. Um, there are many right answers provided in the Scripture. So how does God define love? Sacrificial, right? We see that in the life of Christ, that he would lay down his life for us. How else? Unconditional. That's a tough one. That's a tough one in me reflecting on this sermon because I think what God revealed to me so much is that so much of what I call love is based upon conditions that I've set, how I feel, how I'm treated. And love can retreat when we feel the conditions or the the rules are broken. What else? Let's do one or two more. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I don't really know how to say that at this point, but that's a big, God says in, he says God is love, okay, so that every act that God does on our behalf is fully love, balanced with, you, he's not just love, right, he has to balance his justice, so that's when it gets tricky, because then we're sinners, and Okay. Yeah. Okay. Preach it. <laughs> mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll kind of see where I think the full demonstration of God's love and his justice is met at the cross. And we'll kind of come to that later. So you're right in saying that it doesn't stop. It's not something where his love ends. It's never ending. So thank you for that reminder. Um, so then I'm, I'm, we're looking for scripture that best that best shows and illustrates what God's love is. Because we don't want our thoughts. You don't want my thoughts. We want God's thoughts. So I came across 1 John 3, 1, end verse 16. And it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to, therefore, or we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Okay, and this kind of brings us to our first point. Um, in looking at our text, the question that I was asking is, okay, what do we see in the text of Luke 22 and the gospel accounts as demonstrations of God's love? Knowing that those demonstrations... There's more to God's love than what he does, but we see it in his demonstration, right? Because part of love is that love is acting, love is action. So we see that Jesus, knowing 
every earthly love would fail him, he loved unfailingly. So where in the text do we see this? First, we see that he prepares a place to meet with his disciples ahead of time. Knowing what was coming, he prepares a place. And it says that in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And then he gives them a specific set of instructions that only Jesus could give, right? Go into a town and you'll see a man carrying a jar of water. And they're like, probably by now they're used to some of the crazier instructions that he gives. Like, we're in a crowd of 5,000. Jesus, it's getting kind of late. You know, these people need to eat. And he's like, well, then you can feed them. And they're like, what? Um, And then he tells them, like, this kid has, you know, five loaves and two fish, or I forget the number, but we're going to take it and feed them. And they're like, okay, we're following you on this. And here, um, some of the commentaries that I read, you know, indicate that this wasn't a strange thing. It wouldn't be like, go and see a man drinking from a Nalgene, you know. If you go to REI, that's a common thing. Like, a lot of people doing that there. It was not customary for men to carry jars of water to retrieve the water. That's something that, within the culture of that day and age, that would be primarily the woman's task. So this was unordinary. And there's also, just to give you a little background, there's also some discussion as to, and I'm just, it doesn't matter either or, but it's, okay, did Jesus know that they were going to just happenstance run into that man carrying a jar jar of water? So he just said, this is what you're going to see because I know the future. Or did he make preparations within that, you know, kind of like a covert operation to set up the, the, the Last Supper room up there? And the truth is, he's God, so it doesn't matter. Because he can see the future, so we don't need evidence that he can see the future. Um, but I just, I just thought that was kind of cool, that that was the indication for them. So they, by faith, went, and of course, it came to pass as he said. Um, but the important thing there is that, and we can see this in earthly love, we can see this in the Father's love, but I think the most important thing that I want, that my heart focuses on, that I that I hope is the right thing that your heart to focus on is that Jesus prepared a place for love and communion with his disciples, okay? And what God's heart kind of speaks to us about is that he's doing the same with us every day. He's desiring that place to be prepared where we come to commune with him in his love. So Jesus doing that fully embodied the Father's love for us, that that we would prepare a place to meet with him. He's already prepared a place to meet with us, right? So what do we see second? Um, John, the beginning of chapter 13, verse 1, I love how he introduces the Last Supper. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now just let the weight of that. Twelve hours later, a, a mob of people led by one of his disciples would come and capture him and take him away. 
So what does he do in those last 12 hours? He chooses to love those who are the closest to them to the fullest extent of his love as a demonstration to them later. Because they're going to, later on, after they desert him, they're going to be riddled with guilt. They're going to be wondering why they were forsaken. And he plants a seed of love in each of their hearts that God would grow. And it's just an amazing thing. Bless you. So he loved them to the end, even when that end was his end. That's a hard thing to take and then apply to our lives. How do we, knowing our love is failing constantly, love someone beyond our borders, even if it means to our end? And the only way we can do that is with God's help. So what does he do next? And this is, this is kind of, I guess, the one that is taught most about in the Last Supper is the washing of the feet, right? And there's some conversation in the room where they are gathered. Um, or at least there's, we know that everybody in that room would be wondering who was going to do the customary washing of the feet. And some commentators have um, spoken about this. Maybe this is where the discussion of who is the greatest among us came from. Because each of them would be wondering, you know, who's going to wash our feet? It's part of our ritual. It's part of our custom that somebody would wash our feet before the celebration of the Passover meal as, just as guests in a house. And who would do that? Jesus. Then we see in John 13, 4-9, So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not, na- you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then it goes on. Peter's like, wash my whole, wash my head, wash my hands, wash everything. He's like, no, no, Peter, like, just need to wash your feet. That's the part that's unclean. Your whole body's clean. We just need to wash your feet. Um, But that the God of the universe, knowing he was about to be deserted by everybody whom he washed their feet, would do that. So that's a picture of God's love that is somewhat of a mystery. He loved them to the end. Even when the end was his death on the cross. Even when his end was caused by one of his own. That's where we come to our next point. He loved Judas in spite of his betrayal, which he knew was happening. So how do we see this? Within the text, Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. If it was me, I'm just saying, I would have set that last supper up and I would have, I would have said that. I'd been like, Judas, I know that you've already exchanged money. You know, maybe not in those words. but And then what would have happened in that last supper? Most likely, Peter would have just pummeled him. That would have been it. 
And then he would have saved himself, right? But he doesn't kind of broadcast that. If you read through the Gospels, some, some accounts just say that, for example, Matthew 21, Matthew 26, 21, and while they're eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. He doesn't name him. Luke twenty two twenty one says, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. He's probably sitting close to him at that point. So he doesn't, he doesn't put him out there. He does so, we know, because Scripture has to be fulfilled, right? And in Psalm 41, that is what Jesus is referencing. That the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. So that's to fulfill prophecy. And ultimately, that is because he loved us enough to be betrayed. So, how does, how do we here today see that and be changed to love with an unearthly capacity? That's my dialogue today. Tell me. I mean, how do we come and view that kind of love that would lay down his life and allow that to penetrate our hearts so that we could... It's not just so that we could love more or love people a little bit more than we already do, like just stretching our boundaries a little bit because that's, that's the way I look at it sometimes. Like, okay, just a little bit more because to step outside of, one, to step outside of myself, to become vulnerable and to love somebody a little bit beyond my capacity is a scary thing. But I don't think that's what God's calling us to. I think what God is calling us to is to abandon our protection of ourself in the name of love. In the name of His love. So God loves His... His love for His disciples is the same love which He loves us. It's not greater because it's Peter or John. It's the same that He loves you and me here today. The love for Paul that called him out of his physical sight into physical blindness so that he could equip him with spiritual eyes is the same love that speaks to everyone here today. It's a tough question, a question to wrestle with. How can we, looking at that love, walk away and love like that? And I think in that is the answer. This is one where we don't have to think too much about it because it's not in the power of our intellect. There's nothing in my intellect, if I were to meditate on this for a long enough time, that would be a key to unlock this because it's not within me. It's not within you. So the answer to this is that we fix our eyes on Jesus. And we, we do so... It goes back to the Last Supper. In a way where we want to commune with Him so that as we pour out ourselves, He would then pour Himself by His Holy Spirit into us to equip us to do what we could never do. So it's just about fixing our eyes on Him, waiting for Him to speak, waiting for Him to present an opportunity 
where we can love somebody like he would. And in that opportunity, he's going to give us the power to do it. And at the same time, here's the blessing that comes. As God stretches and enlarges us to love beyond what we think, beyond what we could imagine, what he does is that he pours more of himself in us so that we get to experience his love at a greater degree. And it's out of that experience, because we're caught up in it, that we then love. So it's almost like we have to, in a good way, lose our minds. And in a good way, because we do. We have to lay aside everything in us that we've learned upon this earth about self-protection. And, and I don't know about you, but in reading through this, like God just kept bringing up example, example, example. And I was like, I failed, I failed, I failed. I failed in all of them. I failed in some this week. More than some, let's be honest. But he's not done with us. We're not condemned because of that. The only reason that the Holy Spirit brings those things to our mind is so that he can speak to us freedom and that he can lead us to the next encounter where our ears are listening and where our hearts are just saying, okay, God, I trust you in this. Here's the good news that we get to. There's no way that any of us can do this without having an encounter with the living God. It's by faith. It's by faith in Him that we come to Him, we believe that He exists, and that He works on behalf of those that seek Him, right? So if you're here today and you're thinking, like, this sounds ridiculous, like, maybe, maybe it is that you haven't had that experience with Christ. Maybe He's drawing you by His Spirit, and He has been, Right? Maybe your ears are picking up on that and you're just like, I know there's something here. I know there's something here that's different. And God's offer to you and to all of us today to experience Him anew is on the table. So the Passover dinner, you know, they roasted a lamb and they they prepared it as to Jewish custom. And I don't know all the Jewish customs there, but there was a lot of things they had to do to ensure that it was prepared correctly. And that's what Jesus sent Peter and John to do. And I'm sure it was delicious. You know, they ate it with bitter bitter herbs, herbs. And that reminded them of the Passover flight from Egypt, right? All the bitterness that they experienced in slavery to Pharaoh and under the Egyptians. But what was on the table that day was just a picture because the greater meal was Jesus Christ himself. He was the Passover lamb for them and for us. So if God is drawing you today to himself, do not refuse his voice. Run to him. That kind of love is available only through Jesus Christ today. 
And if you're saying, well, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the guilt that I carry. I would say in response, and I believe God would say, no, God does know that. And it doesn't matter who else knows that. But you don't know the lengths that your Savior went through to carry that guilt for you so that you would never have to experience the end result of that. Jesus cried on the cross before he gave up his last breath. It is finished. It's finished. Your guilt is no more. He experienced death as a result of not his sin, but my sin, your sin. So that you and I would never have to experience that death and separation from God. That's his offer, and that's the good news. We see that in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. And again, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four to 55 Death is swallowed up in victory. Our greatest enemy as mankind until this point was death. Jesus swallowed that up in the victory of his righteous life, substituting our place on the cross for his. Death, where is your victory? You see that almost like, that's God saying that. Where's your victory? Because I took it. You don't have the victory. Where's your sting? The reason we don't feel the sting of death as we come to Christ is because he felt it on our behalf. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And that's what we see. Jesus Christ laid down his life for his friends around that table, even those who would betray him, and he lays it down the same for you and me today. And there is power in that. So we're kind of coming to a close. Um, So I wanted to give us something that we could meditate on today. And this week, as we encounter, because we will, times when we feel like we don't want to be loving. So what are some keys that we can kind of hold in our minds, some tangible things that we can think to, and in thinking about them, experience God's changing effect by His Holy Spirit on our hearts? So how, how we're going to do the end of the service is that we're going to talk about these three things, and then... I've invited a friend of mine who um, I haven't seen in years, and I haven't talked to him in years, and the first thing I do is I ask you to come and do something for me. But I knew he was happy to do it. Uh, He's a musician, and he wrote a song that ministered to me for years. Um, And when I was preparing, that song just kept flooding my mind, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to ask him, like, hey... Haven't talked to you in five years. Do you want to come and play this song? <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah." <laughs> it was such an awesome thing. Um, so his name is Trey Bass. He's going to come up, and as I finish, as I close, after we talk about these three things, he's going to play that song. And I just kind of want—I want to usher in a time like we had in worship this morning for the Holy Spirit just to speak to our hearts.
because he will. You know, we come expecting because God expects to speak to us. So we come with open ears. And I, after that, after he plays a song, we're going to come to the table and we're going to take communion. And um, just listen to the Spirit's voice and obey. Okay, so our three things, and I'll try to make this quick because I took a long, a lot of time on the front end. Um, so these are three ways that we can be empowered daily by the love of Christ. Okay, and this is not an all-inclusive list, just three things. So we remember. Okay, that's what the Passover was about for the disciples. They gathered to remember, to remember their exodus from Egypt for what God had done. Similarly, in each of our lives, for, for those of us who come to know Christ, we have a story. We remember how God called us out of our selfish living, out of our bondage to sin, slavery, and death. And that time in which he did it is unique to everybody in this room. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a way in which they saw and experienced God. Maybe it was through a person. Maybe it was through a television, a radio. Maybe it was just at a conference. However you experience God, whatever the first point of contact is, we remember that God reached out to us. It was not us reaching out to him, that he drew us by his spirit. So we remember, and we remember looking back to the cross, knowing that Jesus said it's finished, so it's finished. We're free. We look at the present. We know that God is doing things by his spirit in a way where he sees all mankind all the time. He sees us all the time. He's always watching us. He's always looking for our best so we can trust him with our present because of it, because he's a good father. And we look to the future, and this is kind of our last point. Um, We know that in this world we experience sorrow. We experience even the love that we have that is the greatest isn't full and complete because we were meant for another world. So there is a future fulfillment for every believer in the kingdom of God because he prepared a place for us. So we plant our love on earth in view of it growing up to be fulfilled and for us to experience it in the kingdom. We see this in Luke 22, verses 15 to 16. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. The the Greek breaks down to actually, I desire with desire to eat this with you because he wanted to plant a love in them to speak to them later. God desires to do the same with us today and with you today. I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. You see his longing. It's bookending. He sees this one experience of the love is not it. It's going to find its fulfillment in God's kingdom. And I'm looking forward to that. I hope you are too. I know you are. So God's love is fully understood through the experience of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to our lives. We can't get this intellectually. And I tried. Like, we can't. It's not, trying to get this kind of a love, this radical of a love, is like trying to understand the Himalayan mountain range from a postcard. You'll get a, you'll get a picture of it. You'll have a definition that maybe you can say, yeah, there's like mountains and snow and these flags that they hang up 
to ward off spirits. Like, but you don't, you have to be in that landscape to see how wide, how deep, how high. It's the love of Christ. So it's experiential, and we can long to experience that because he longs to show it to us. So we need to live, move, breathe, spend time in this and allow this kind of a love to get a hold of us. Okay, I'm going to pray. Trey's going to come up. And he's going to share a song. Um, So let's pray. Father, breathe on this place. We know you're here, God. We sense your presence. And now we just ask you to speak to us. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Speak to our pain. Speak to the thing that we carry today that we feel we have to carry because we don't know what else to do with it. God, I pray for freedom. Lord, where there, where there seems to be no other way, you are the way, so I pray for freedom. I pray that today we would come to the table knowing that our experience of you does not end at this table. It begins. So we can expect to experience you in greater ways in the future. God, so speak to us today about that. Build your church through us. Pour into us and allow us this week to be a demonstration of your unfailing love. We recognize we can't do it, but we trust you with it, God. So it's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.